We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This is an episode that we did back in the summer with New York Red Bulls Academy Director Sean McCafferty along with the North American Irish coaches. So Sean has a really interesting journey from the director of Barcelona's Residency Academy in Arizona and then moving to New York as well. His perspective on how the different types of teaching and the different philosophies throughout both systems and programs is absolutely fascinating. So a lot of great stuff here in youth development. We'd love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. Just real quick, the Modern Soccer Coach website, the recent webinar we did with Cam Meehan is now available for a limited time only. There's also some other webinars up there as well. The webinars we did during lockdown are no longer available on the Modern Soccer Coach website. So there are previews up there. The website is full of previews of all the webinars we did during lockdown. But those webinars are only available to watch now if you purchase the webinar series which is the bargain of all time, 25 webinar presentations from some of the top coaches in the game, all available for only $30. So you get to download each webinar for your own records and you also get to support Modern Soccer Coach, keep the free webinars going. Every time we put a webinar up, we keep it up for two months and then we take it down. So a lot of opportunity for you to watch it in that time. And then we've, we've just got to keep everything going, keep the podcast going. We put as much free stuff out there as we can. But of course, we need a little support uh, to keep it going. So if you're feeling generous and you've had a great experience this year with the Modern Soccer Coach content, please go ahead on to modernsoccercoach.com into the shop and you can order all those webinars for your own records have them to keep really appreciate your support it would mean a lot if you just went on there and helped us keep everything going we've got some more planned in the future thanks so much for all your help thanks so much for all your support here is sean enjoy yeah welcome sean excited to 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 get your insight on a few things and there's different ways we could take this here but i think the first one that that we'd love to find out is really your your own personal pathway uh, into your current role. Uh, so I've been uh, in the United States now probably almost 19 years, Gary. Um, first started in the Philadelphia area, was fortunate enough to come over and, uh, and work and coach probably 23 years of age with some former kind of teammates of mine and really developed a love for the for coaching and, and getting involved with youth. Um, from there, you know, 15 years in Philadelphia working with a, an amateur club, uh, FC Delco. We had great relationships with Philadelphia Union, so got a wee, a wee taste of the kind of professional game and what that meant in the, the environment that they created. Um, from there, got a great opportunity to go out to Arizona at Barca Academy, um, you know, which is a kind of the, a partner of FC Barcelona, their only residential partner, and 
in the world. So went out there and, and again, just an opportunity to learn that methodology, the way they do things, the, the how in-depth it was, was just, a, again, a, it's a brilliant experience for myself as a, as a kind of coach and a director. And then probably maybe two and a half, three years sooner than I had hoped to go back to the East Coast, an opportunity to come up with, uh, with the New York Red Bulls, which was, you know, it's, again, very fortunate they get the call and, and do, do the interview process and, you know, went to Europe as well as, uh, you know, New York. And it was a, a comprehensive process, but I, I knew right away that that was going to be the club for me, just the, you know, everything about it, the people there, the culture, the kind of global aspect that the, the, the opportunity to really even learn and keep developing was just one we couldn't turn down as a family, made the wife happy as well, getting back to the East Coast, which is always important. Um, but that was just a great opportunity and, you know, been in the job since the end of July now and it's, you know, I genuinely say when I say this, I mean it, it's surpassed every expectation. So it's, uh, that's how I'm, I'm where I'm at and I'm, I'm loving every minute. Uh, let's talk about the, the Barcelona methodology. I mean, w- what changes when you're impacted by that there? What kind of changes did that have in your in your coaching philosophy, your session design? Where did that impact and how? I think w- when it came to their methodology, it was a lot of non-negotiables. You know, this is the, they're one of the few clubs, I think, worldwide that you can say is their, their culture and identity is is more important than any any first team coach. Any, it doesn't matter. I think you look at Ajax is probably an honor one as well. And, you know, I'd like to say Red Bull were very similar as well. And our, our playing style and our philosophy and culture is more important than anything. So, but it's a lot, a lot of non-negotiables and, you know, they, they always say plan B is do plan A better. Um, and it, it's just, you know, methodical in your possession phase. And they just, they want to dominate every aspect of the game. You know, when you're build up and you're against the ball, you're counter pressing, whatever it may be is just, Listen, this is it's almost an arrogant approach, if you like, but this is our ball and that's it. You know, if we haven't got it, we're we're getting it back. There's no defending, it's recovering the ball, for example. All their terminologies is used towards a positive kind of mindset versus a, a negative mindset. Um, no defending, it's ball recovery. And you know, for for me, it was the probably got about 30 directors of methodology there. We we're lucky enough to go to La Masia twice and take some of our top prospects there. And just the watch on their nines and then watch all the way to the Barca B. It's just consistent through it. Like everything they do from the, the structure of the sessions, which is the most, for me, it was the most important aspect of the way they play. You know, your your rondos, your small positional games, big positional. And it's it's not rocket science. It's just everything's opposed. They really didn't believe in anything unopposed. Um, was something that really stuck with me. Um, not They weren't massive on the, the yellow men, so to speak, the old mannequins and, and that kind of stuff. But just to see the younger players just do it exactly like the second team. And, you know, it was just amazing to see, you know, the ball just moving. One of the things the coaches told us when we were there is you should be able to close your eyes and just hear it. If it's a good session or not, like pop, 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 pop. And that's it to believe in, you know, and the, you know, the rondos to the, again, the positional games, which, you know, very expansive, you know, disciplined in your positioning and making sure you know your role and, you know, you're trusting your teammates to do their roles and what have you. So, a lot of work was in with the methodology side, but then they simplified for the players, which I, I thought was really interesting. And I thought was, you know, we were Barca Academy. We American boys from all over the country. Like, how do we get them to play a, a, a Barca style of play? And it was just fantastic to see. I mean, in year one, you know, one of the groups we had got to the, you know, near one of the academy. We got to the semifinals against Seattle, a great Seattle team. And it just you can see how the structure and, and how they train and the non-negotiables just transfers onto the in, in the game. You know, it was an invaluable experience for me. And uh, again, some of those players 
have gone on to do some some really good things in only two and a half years. I think there's probably five or six of them now signed, maybe seven signed pro contracts. Wow. Wow. What was their attitude, uh, both with the methodology and with your visit? What was it? What was their attitude towards uh, sports science at the youth level? Um, towards sports science, I mean, a lot of stuff is like, listen, it's all with the ball. You know, it really is with the ball, and they've there was there was more of a focus just on the way of playing versus the sports science, strength conditioning. So one of the things they were really against any strength work, physical work until after 15, for example. Um, you know, everything was based around decision-making, the, the cognitive learning, obviously, and, and, and that's what they valued. You know, some of the terms that were just, you could hear them young, old, doesn't matter. They, you know, giving the ball away is irresponsible, not reacting positively is unacceptable. Just those little simple terms. It's just, all right, that's in possession, out of possession, done. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just a very simple, you know, short, concise. and But that was... I think the sports science piece and we had some discussions with the, the kind of director's methodology that we're us in Arizona about, you know, some functional training, you know, some unopposed and they just very, at that time anyway, we're very much against it. Is that everything has to be with an opponent. Everything has to be with a decision. Um, <laughs> they were really argue. Mm. Well, Red Bull would have a similar model in terms of imposing their game style on other teams, um, I mean, where I suppose where are this where are the biggest similarities uh, from being inside of both? Um, I, against the ball, like you say, I think. Listen, it's uh, you know whether it's press, um, the reaction to the counter press, and as the ball is given away, you know you should have enough numbers around the ball to recover it quickly. And if you don't, then it's the, again the willingness to work to recover and get it back, and and that's the mentality. It's to make the opponents feel uncomfortable. Right, is they make everything their life uncomfortable, you know, not allowing them to build up, not a given time on the ball. But I think the higher level you go, obviously, you can't run around like Egypt Sealer. You have to be a bit more strategic where you're setting traps, you know what I mean? And depending on who you're playing against, you know, if you you can't just go and high press, they're going to knock it over you, then you're in trouble. So as they get older a bit, and certainly within our methodology and how we teach, is a bit older, then it's not just the wellness to work, it's the, the when and why's, you know. and Against the ball, that's 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 really important. The differences, Gary, with the ball, definitely. Obviously, there was there's differences in, you know, one of the things I learned, which was very fascinating. Barcelona like to do things opposites. You know, if you won the ball, a lot of teams just want to go forward. They like to go back because they're so expansive and they want to be in control. Um, obviously, at Red Bull, we want it. We want to go forward. You know, can we play forward? Can we look vertical? Can we, you know, exploit the opponents in that moment? Um, you know, that's one of the major differences I'll say with the ball, but you know, at Red Bull we're evolving. Um, you know, you can see it at Leipzig, obviously even under, under Julian Nagelsmann and how they're playing and, you know, under Chris, our first team coach is, is, is fantastic is, you know, we are focusing a bit more on how can we be better with the ball, you know, not just being against the ball or maybe that's a perception, but can, can we teach our young players and the players we're bringing in to, to dominate every phase, you know, every aspect of the game. That's the goal. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like the, the, the tactical intelligence is seems to be like the the holy grail for coaches to to try and coach that in, especially in in a, in a culture where the US where it is more more transitional. I suppose with a with a raw product of a, a kid that's used to playing a certain way, how do you layer in so many tactical decisions? When we first, we first come in in preseason, um, and again, I started late July, so the kind of teams were almost selected, and there was a the club was a better director at the time. So, we number one, we had too many players, and too many players not at the level. 
But the pre-season, everybody's working hard. And like you say, transition after transition. It was like watching car crash after car crash, to be honest with you. And, uh, and just coming from where I was, it was just very, very different. You know, the only changes in tempo was 100 to 120 versus, you know, we really try and emphasize 100 to 70. That's like a simple little term we have. You know, in the moments, the finishing moments is just, just calm down. Just take a touch. Just relax. Make sure your decision-making, your technique is, you know, there's a lot of stuff being done very quickly. But that final moment, for example, it needs a bit of calmness. It probably needs an additional touch. And that's what we kind of really with our academy players try to emphasize in possession. You're doing, you're doing so much great work. The, the American boys, the players here, you never have to ask them to work hard. They're just very honest, very um, eager to please, so to speak. And their work rate's unbelievable, and they're athletic. I mean, they're just naturally such great diversity here, especially where we are. That's the easy part. So for us, we really focused on probably 90% of our um, teaching was just with the ball, just decision-making and, and helping them understand the why. You know, it's we want to play the best teams in the world. You want to play and behind. That's the most direct path to go, but there's no space, and you can't play that pass and help just helping them understand that when it's on, when it's not how you can manipulate them to, to play the way you want to play, to draw them out, to play in behind. Just It's really been decision-making, decision-making, decision-making for us and just slowing it down, changing the tempo. And that's been probably eight, nine months in the works, but very pleased with the progress, honestly, very pleased with the progress. And the staff have really bought into it as well, which helps. How much is uh, analysis and data, how much is that layered into the teaching as well then at, at Red Bulls? Because it seems to be very progressive with that there. It is. We've gone through a transition phase. Yeah, we've uh, had a new head of scouting. Um, our head analyst came from Southampton, uh, Natasha, mm -hmm. who's brilliant. She's a very, very much an academy background as well. Um, so she's been really helpful in regards to getting a lot of that sorted. Um, you know, totally honestly, we don't have an academy analyst at this point. It's a position we want to we want to bring in, and we're looking to add simply because our coaches have been uh, asked to do a lot, and they're also you know. To be fair, they code, they clip, they do the scouting reports, they do it all right now, which is a lot. Um, but we, we value it massively. You know, we're very fortunate. Ortec, um kind of give us a lot of data from the games that we play in, you know, and we kind of use that, obviously, to work with individual development. Obviously, how, you know, balls are gained in opponent's half, for example, is a big thing for us in our philosophy. For, you know, forward passes, for example. We try and use that data, but we really tie it into our philosophy because so much data points out there that it, you get lost on it uh, and we really try and narrow it down to what's what's important for us and, and again doesn't make it right or wrong but it's just it ties into our philosophy and what we believe in um and again the coaches do an unbelievable job of, of making sure that we're teaching the players teaching the teams uh, and again you know i think we're not where we want to be we're probably at a decent stage but we need to we need to evolve here what's the the pathway for players from from the US, something that I'm I'm not familiar with at all. I mean, for a for a player that wants to kind of go through, and is there are all the clubs linked to where they can they can get different experiences in places? Or are they pretty exclusive towards keeping the players there at the youngest age groups? If that makes in, sense. In regards to our academy, Gary. In yeah, in regards to like, say you've got a 14, 15 year old, and and it's, it's a big talent. Is is that is there other clubs that? that have the option of taking a look or is it going to go through that there first and foremost, is going to be an MLS player? Uh, no, listen for us, you know, our, our objective is, you know, we have a full, you know, Academy camp all the way down from the youth programs, you know, five, six years of age, all the way through to under 19. So the goal for us is the best example I can give you is a Tyler Adams, for example, right. A Tyler Adams came through the club when he was 
probably six, seven, eight years of age, identified at a camp um, out in Long Island where he's from. So then obviously identified him, brought him into some of the youth programs, the pre-academy, he played in the academy. Obviously you could see his, his, his mentality and the way he did things was different. You know, not the most talented, I've, you know, based on what I've, I've kind of been told, and but his mentality was different level. And it just, his development just accelerated every time they push him up. He'd excel. He push him up again, and he's played training with the you know the second team and signed as a 15 year old as a homegrown. Played when he's 16 against, I believe he scored against Chelsea. It was at Tottenham in one of the preseason friendlies. Just just fearless, just brave, and and obviously from there he plays in our first team, does exceptionally well on the national team. And you know obviously as everybody knows now he's at is at Leipzig and he's a Champions League player and he's you know when he's fit and he's healthy and he's he's just top top level and he's uh, but that's that's kind of for us what probably great looks like. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we want them to go through our steps and, and be here. We're developing and investing in them to, to make our team better, you know, and that's that's the that's our number one objective is to get them into our, our second team, first team, do well for New York Red Bulls. And if there's something that can, they can move on to, then fantastic, you know, and then there's a return on investment for us. And, you know, the goal for us is more, you know, Tyler Adams can't be the outlier. He can't be the one. We have to, we, we have no excuse with the talent pool, the you know, population density and the diversity we have. There's no excuse. We we should be, you know, churning them out. There's a lot of noise uh, about the lack of uh, growth in the U.S. So, in terms of like progress, the national teams making and kind of gets tarnished with the whole youth community. Where do you think the the with the academies that are now coming in and how many years they've been in, where do you see the biggest growth in the U.S. youth player over the past five years? Like I've been here almost 19 years, and it's it's unbelievable from where we were to where we are. I think the, you know, the development academy obviously announced that they've uh, U.S. soccer announced that they you know dissolved the league, but that's been the biggest difference for me. It's they they just professionalized that they had standards in regards to you know. That's the substitution rule is a basic one. As basic as that sounds, the substitution rule of you know the on and off all the time. It just the, the game was never the game. The product was never the correct product. Um, but it's something as simple as that is lend players. They if the last ninety minutes, you have to get a second one, the third one. You have to fight through these things, and you know the, the quality of you know coaching education's been much uh, much developed. Um, and again, just clubs becoming more professionalized with you know, curriculums and, and 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 everything, and it just support staff it's night and day from where it was gary um and listen the current national team call it what you like for me i look at the young players coming through i mean so many top talents now only playing in europe you know with not just blue suits you get reina um obviously ledesma you, you can the list goes on and on if young players that have come through you know an academy system you know the younger ones those probably younger than pulisic but you know, one of our boys at Barca, Matthew Hoppy, is at Schalke. You know, he signed for Schalke from us. He's in the 19s. He's banging in goals, doing well. I, I don't, I don't look at the negatives. I think it's a, so many positives. It's just it takes time. Mm. I think the generation doesn't qualify. It's maybe it wasn't a great generation. Mm. I mean, you know, we're Irish. We, we should be. We should. We should be able to relate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, even you know, every country goes through that. Great generations, generations where it's not maybe as, as much talent or depth or what have you. But I think the future is very, very, very bright. And I look at 2026, I think the U.S. is going to have a a, a very, not just a, a good start in 11, some depth in there as well. Mm. If you're hiring a U18 or U19 coach tomorrow, what would you be looking for? 
I think for us, it, it's tied to the way we play. Somebody who's just, you know, genuinely passionate and energetic, enthusiastic in what they do. Um, you know, somebody that's very open-minded, you know, that comes in with understanding that, listen, you're coming to a club where it's a, this philosophy, will, you know, and this way of doing things will outlast anybody's here before you and will be here after you, you know, and, and you know, somebody is humble, is massive, you know, I think it's the humility is a massive piece to this and being okay with not knowing having all the answers that none of us do. Um, but, you know, just somebody who's you know, is able to relate to the players is, is huge for me. I'm a big believer and that's, it's a high percentage of being a good coach is how do you relate to the players? Um, I think sometimes we get lost in what we're saying, you know, and, and complicate a very simple, very simple game. And, and, you know, and sometimes we, we tell our staff that is, listen, the, the key is to know when to not talk. It's just, just observe, you know, it's easy to commentate and it's easy to just say everything, but you know, number one doesn't help. You're, you're basically doing it for you and the players don't want to hear you anyway, it just becomes noise. So it's knowing what to say in the right moments. And you know, anybody's played the worst thing, you, worst thing you can hear from a coach is stop. You know what I mean? Stop. I don't even care what they say. I don't mind listening. So it's just being able to find creative ways to coach at natural stoppages. Um, being able to coach in the flow of a game is one of the, the big ones for us is don't stop the game. Just a little whisper here, a little moment here. And, you know, you can pull him aside if you want, but even then you stop him playing. He's not happy. He's probably not listening. Um, so really somebody just willing to learn and, and, and just, again, doesn't make us right or wrong, but just get on board with how we do things. Um, so that's, that's what we look for. And again, somebody, just ambitious, good person, but a banter, obviously good ever in the office is important as well. So, Yeah, so if you have a, a 22, 23-year-old who's just kicking off, there's obviously going to be a gap between they're probably not going to have those skills developed yet to go into your environment. Uh, what are your thoughts on where they could get those in the in the US? What, what pathways could a coach take before getting to your level? I think I was very fortunate to have some really good people to learn under. I think that's massive, having mentors and really just having people they, they speak to and they, the people tell you the truth and, and be honest with you. And um, those are, the, in my opinion, the best people who will help you accelerate your development. Mm. The licenses are great for me. I really enjoy them. You know, some people say, oh, this, and you can always take something from everything. Mm. You know, and, you know, the A, my C and my B and my A, the USSF licenses here. And they were great. I had some good relationships, friends I have still to this day, and you know, people I you know I, I talk to and um, and get advice from. And I think it's massive. I think the biggest thing for a young player trying to do coaching is they think it's the same. They think because they could play and they know the game that the coach it's a different it's a it's a completely different profession, you know. And and just because you played it and you can strike a ball doesn't I mean you can coach and relate to players and and help them understand. So. It's just learn, you know, don't think that you and don't be, be just be humble and, and don't think you, you're entitled to something just because you're a player. I, I, that's one of the worst things I see, to be honest with you. And then people get thrown into positions they shouldn't be in and they end up failing. Mm. Yeah, like how much, how much is the role then of overseeing all this? How much is it? Well, you're almost holding coaches back from doing too much, from inputting themselves too much. Is that, do you think that's in our culture? Or do you think that's just coaching in general? Um, listen, I, I was probably the most guilty, to be honest, and just, you know, trying to talk too much, trying to do too much. And it was a, a friend of mine, Lee Martin, one time was coaching me and his best thing he ever said to me, he said, sit down, shut up. And I was like, all right, fair enough. He said, just let the game, let, let them feel it, let them get a, you know, let them get into it. This, you know, your, your job's done. You trained, you trained them during the week, your, your job's done. You know, he said, just watch it, observe it. And, 
you know, especially in the games and the, you're the supporter, you're not the coach, you're the supporter, you know what I mean? Help them, you know? And mm-hmm. I just, I just thought it was very, just take the emotion out of it. It was just like, he was putting himself in the player's shoes versus, you know what I mean? Just let them, let the game come to them, let them feel it, let them figure it out. That's the only way they're going to learn. They're not going to learn by you telling them, you know, you don't, I don't, you're a youth coach. You don't have to win. You don't have to win this game. It's, it's ultimately the X's and O's business is our first team. And that's where, you know, that's the only team that, that has to win. Everybody else, we're trying to develop individuals, you know? So you're going to focus on an end, focus on, you know, Gary Kearney, he's our number 10 here. What's he doing? What's his off the ball movement? How's he performing? Because that's what's the most important. If you, you know, somebody signs as a pro, that's success for us, not winning a game. It's also difficult though, whenever you're, you're playing a style of football of, you know, pressing high tempo, you know, counter pressing, because we're almost conditioned to think that that's heavily influenced, but you need the coaches that stand up telling you to do go, 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 go. Uh, I mean, yeah. Is, is that an issue with any of these teams? The way you're saying, listen, we, how do you get the coach to get the balance right between impacting, but then not holding the hands? So when I came in, a lot of mine was just observing them all. I mean, obviously the, the coaches were there. Um, for the most part, I brought one of the coaches I knew, to, I knew from the past. He um, kind of fits the mold that you think is like-minded and maybe has as a more polished coach than um, Jonathan Rose, who works our 15s, is very good. But the other coaches, it's a lot of observing. Some of them had those attributes. Some of them were just commentators. And, and they just had this, <laughs> I was like, listen, like you're, 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 you're making me anxious. I'm laid back and you're making me anxious. Just, just settle down and... You know, if we've done our job and we've articulated, listen, in these moments we, we press, in these moments we drop off, and then they should know what to do. We shouldn't have to tell them. If we have to tell them, then our time's been wasted all throughout the week, all throughout the month. You know, you talk about principles and, and how you do things. That's We're massive on that. You know, and there's there's cues of the games where they have to see or even feel it and go and do it. You know, and I, I'm a big believer, and if we're, we're making decisions for players, one of the things for us, Gary, we're trying to get there, we're not there yet is the coaches to stop coaching the player in the ball. Stop coaching the player in the ball. He only has it for probably two minutes of a 90-minute game if he's good. And you're taking away decisions from him and you're, you know, you're, you're, it's, if you're coaching the player in the ball, it's very short-sighted. You're just seeing that space versus what's going on everywhere else, which is more important. And that was one of the things I really learned at the, at the Barca Academy. It was, you know, one of the things he, and fortunate to go to the Messias, if you're coaching the player in possession, you fail already. You know, it's not like never do it. Younger players maybe need some help a, a bit, but I just thought that was brilliant. You, know, you must, if you're coaching the player on the ball, you're missing the game. So, yeah, interesting. Last one for you, and then I'll turn it over to Enda. This is a could ask another 20 questions here. The, the competitiveness is a word that, um, I spoke to a coach there the other day and was talking about coaching competitiveness. And then Martin O'Neill, I know, said it whenever that he wants that in the 15, 16 year old. It's something that in the English academies. It looks like they're almost they're having an issue with maybe because they're getting too much too soon or the the facilities that we're but we're also doing that in America, Sean. Like we're spending fortunes on these brilliant facilities. That is, do you think that can take away a little bit of grit from players? And how do you get the balance right? I suppose. I think everybody has this discussion about is it you know are they entitled? And I agree with you. They're getting too much too soon. Right, what the, the hunger goes and the desire goes, and you know, when we played, we we're polishing boots, right? The pro, you, you knew, you knew your place. You were cleaning changing rooms, and you're polishing boots, and you're hoping to get a few quarter Christmas. They go for a night out. Um, that was it. So we have to be careful with that. Um, you know, I think there's various ways to do it. I mean, some of the top talents and prospects for us get 
pushed up or maybe a chance to dream of the second team and then they think that's it but then bring them back down again how do they react like what's their mentality in that you know what i mean is are they sulking are they it's like listen this there's nothing given you know there's 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 nothing given you have to earn it and um, um we're definitely a, to try and teach a competitive training environment is tough one of the simple ways that we've we've done and again i thought was very effective it's just we, we have you know, a league table you try and do like a league table each week of every activity has points associated with it right whether it's a rondo it doesn't matter and then at the end of the session, you get your points. And then you start to do a league table. And then they start to go, all right, where am I? It's fucking Sean, Sean's bottom again. I need, to, I need to step it up. I need to pick some better teammates. Um, but ultimately, it's just fun, you know, engagement. But it, it really does drive a wee bit more of the competitiveness to it, even to an activity that could be somewhat you know, warm-up, just getting going. What's, what's the point? I mean, just getting going, you're wasting time. So starting some little points to that. It just tempo goes, the intensity goes, things of that nature. So... Ways you can kind of hope maybe facilitate or try and influence the competitiveness, maybe guy is, a, is the way we try and approach it. But sports psychology piece, you know, we're we're nowhere near where we need to be on that side. Um, and we we think it's we value it and think it's very very important about the mentality of a player. But um, you know, we we need to evolve in that area, and, and I'd love to hear some people's uh, experiences and how they they find success and really developing a, a top winners mentality. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, last thing I saw that uh, Ravel Morrison was, uh, I don't know if you saw it during the week, with Carragher and uh, Neville were on the, and they were talking uh, for Wayne Rooney's, said he was the best talent that came through, never made it. And then Carragher was saying, but that's part of your talent is your attitude and your application. That is that is part of talent. I suppose, are, are these values going to start coming back in? Humility, the old-fashioned things that we've maybe lost in our coach education part? I hope so. Honestly, I hope so, because I, I couldn't agree with more. I mean, people say talent and automatically, I think it's probably the, the, the YouTube generation. They see all the, 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 the skills and all the stuff that goes on, but that's a small percentage of the players in the world, and there's only a few people can do it. For us, it's, it is, how do they train? You know, and you know, you move them up. How do they react? You know, it's it has to be the mentality. Talent is talent's not just somebody who has ability. Talent, John Terry, what what a talent! One in headers, leading. You know, wasn't quite good, but it just that's talent to me. That's the talent is how you define it, and it's definitely what position you're in, and it's you know what's your what's your role in that position, what type of you know. For us, a talent is somebody's endurance. They close down, won the ball back, and that's talent. You know, I think it's probably, in my opinion, I think you alluded to it, Gary, was just we need to get back to that. You know, the the, the the willingness to work and the willingness to be selfless is one for us. Like, just have that. That's a great start. You know what I mean? And the other stuff we can we can work. Yeah, there's a Jim McGuinness we were just talking before we started recording, but that was one thing Jim said that really stood out to me was he says we're at a great advantage where the top teams, the, the Liverpool, and, and for you guys as well, that, the teams that are really successful are now hard-working teams. So now you can, you know, it's not players that are standing around. It's not the Berbatovs of the world. <laughs> no, I'm a, listen, I'm a Liverpool fan myself. So it's, uh, they see Manny and Salah tracking back, recovering the ball and defensive third is just, I mean, these are world-class players that normally maybe wouldn't do those types of things. It's what a culture he's created. What a culture he's created for them to be willing to do that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sean, enjoyed that. Top class. I'll put a ender on here if he's still about. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. No, top class, Sean. Thank you.
Sean, what does a weekly training uh, cycle or schedule look for an academy player at, at the at the New York Red Bulls? Um, yeah, so from the player's standpoint, we train four times a week. We give them one one night off. They, you know, academics catch up, be at home, be the family and what have you. Um, uh, so ours is on Monday, which is a kind of our plus two game normally. Um, we focus a lot on the position specific and functional that day. Um, so more of the individual development piece. Um, if there's players haven't played a lot of minutes, we'll do something extra with them to get them up to speed just to get their fitness going. And then Wednesday is really we get into it. I mean, the same as everybody else. You know, it's a minus three, high, high workload day, philosophy-based day. Thursday, the same, uh, relatively similar. And then Friday is our minus one, which is game preparation. We don't really we don't really prepare for the opponent at our level just until the day before the game. You know, it's not that important for us. Again, we don't day one. Um, one of the things, Enda, that when I came in, everybody trained during the evening. Yeah. which is normal. Obviously, we school and what have you because um, they go to school here till they're 18. Um, so we wanted to change that. So we we brought our under-19 team to join the day. Uh, our academy manager set up uh, basically a flexible school schedule program for them. So now they could train during the day, more contact time. You could control their diet and nutrition. Um, we could have those players training with the second team more often. So, you know, that was a massive change for us. And then this year we're going to 17s and 19s during the day as well. So we're, we're trying to, those older age, we're trying to professionalize as much as possible, making sure they still take care of their academics, but there's more <laughs> flexibility these days with either online or, or what have you. Um, so then Saturday game day, Sunday's rest. I mean, that's a normal schedule for us. Staff-wise, we come in about 10 o'clock and, you know, you're there to whatever, 8, 8, 9, 30 at night. But but again, I'm a massive believer in, you know, we have full-time staff, so they, you know, they got families. They need to be home with, a, you know, yourself or your your Wayne's not make sure not burn the house down. So like that Tuesday night, that Tuesday just stay off. Don't don't even come in the office. You can work from home, you know, and take that day off to be with the family. Have dinner at night at a normal time with your 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 wife and Wayne's and and that type of thing. But and then the Sunday is it's off for the most part. But as you know, sometimes there's there's games and what have you. But I think it's a decent schedule for everybody involved and people a lot smarter than me have said that this this schedule kind of works from a a youth development standpoint, a periodization standpoint. So. I tend to listen to people that are smarter than me, and there's lots of them. <laughs> um, so obviously, it's a tough time for everyone in, in in the football business, Sean. And you know, everyone's kind of off, but you know, and there has been some change within uh, the U.S. soccer. What excites you about uh, the the MLS Academy League? Um, you know, have you thought much about it? Like, what's what's the most exciting thing for you with, with those developments? Or do you have anything exciting about it? Or you know, how, how do you look at it? <laughs> no, definitely. I think this is. Um... You know, for us, it, there's going to be a lot of positives coming out of this um, with the MLS getting involved in it, trying to structure. It's an opportunity to really – we have a lot of benchmarks domestically, and uh, but we don't really have benchmarks enough internationally against top academies. So this the, the, league, the new league structure will hopefully give us an opportunity to play, you know, more, you know, Liga MX teams, for example, whether it's European clubs. We, we have limited opportunities to do that, and I think we're really trying to grow that side of it and, and see how our players match up. I mean, we're very fortunate – my first couple of weeks on the job. Um, we had a tournament in Austria um, with our 04s, 2004s. So we got to play against Chelsea, Valencia, FC Basel. And, you know, you think over here, oh, they're going to be top academies, which they are, but we're right there. You know, we end up, you know, we drew with Valencia, drew with Chelsea, beat Basel. And you're just, you know, you're right there. You know, the players are competing. So we need more of that. Our 06s played against PSG. They beat us. They were quality, but they just need to see that, those players culturally just have something different. You know, it, it is ingrained in them and it's part of their culture. They have a different 
in my opinion, a different feel to the game that maybe some of our top players do. Um, and again, it's not quite ingrained in the culture here. We're almost there. We're making massive strides, but you know, other places obviously, you know, we're doing it a lot longer, so it's expected. Yeah, for sure. Um, talk about the recruitment uh, in the Barcelona way. How much of a an impact did that play in the in the style of play? Like, was recruitment a massive factor within that? And uh, you know, can you tell us much about that? But massively. I mean, ultimately, listen, you you need players that fit your philosophy, and this is the thing. Sometimes you bring in players that might be talented, but they just don't fit what you're doing. You know, and it's it's definitely different for us at Red Bull and the types of players we're looking for um, in the not only the physical attributes, but you know, just the, the their profiles, so to speak, and. We've, uh, again, a new head of scouting at Red Bull and, you know, a massive piece to him is at the youth level, I believe, you know, they're nowhere near the finished article. They're not the finished article at the first team level. So can we give players with weapons? What do they have special? You know, for us, there's somebody very quick, the ability to stretch opponent, run them behind. You know, I need, you know, a lot of times oh, I need to work technically. All right, then that's our job. We have to develop him. We have to work with him, but he's got a weapon that's really interesting. So let's bring him in. You know, maybe a player that you think, oh, well, he's, you're not physically strong, maybe he's undersized, but but you know what? He's, he's got great vision. He can play that final pass that we need. Let's bring him in. Let's work with him. Let's see if we can get him. You know, maybe it's a diet nutrition thing. Maybe it's a work with a sports um, scientist or strength conditioning coach. So this, the head scout has really kind of, you know, told us to look for weapons. Just look for special talents, and then then we'll see. You know, at Barca it was the same. Is Decision-making was huge for them. Players who were comfortable in possession, good under pressure, and, and made the right decision consistently. That was a massive part of you know what we viewed then as talent. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, in, in college football, especially here, there's a lot of international recruitment, Sean. Um, you know, within the MLS Academy, you know, I'm not sure of the rules, but does that play much of a role? Is there a global aspect to what you're looking to bring in to – fours or is it pretty much all a local type of thing regional um you know and, and if there is a global piece to it you know how does it work for you guys uh so when we came in there, it was it was all local there was no residency component of any you know they're in the you know uh, talks of it in the homes in place so we got a homestay program which is you know the same i did the same level of the landlady and digs and, and all that kind of stuff so we we kind of brought that in we four or five players that were Two of them were out of market, so that way, obviously, we could bring them in, stay, improve the environment uh, that way. Uh, but two of them were actually in the region, but just the living situations weren't great. So we had to the top talents. We, we see them on a good tra trajectory, but we needed to get them in, get them proper meals, get them help them with their education, have them more contact time with them. So we moved two of those players in as well. So right now, we're just at four. Um, the, obviously, the goal is to grow that and, you know, down the road, have some residency um, component. That was that was the biggest advantage of a Barca Academy with 120 yeah. residents. Everything's there, yeah. schools there. You know, you just eat, love, and breathe the game. And I know you've been there. It's a, it's in the middle of the desert. It's kind of on its own, which is great. I think it's right. because people are there for the right reason. The players are there for the right reason. Um, and I, again, I, people may maybe surprised that you you develop pros in there, but it doesn't doesn't surprise me. It's an unbelievable environment just for for developing top top talent. You know, Julian Araujo, LA Galaxy was there for a year. You know, he was, he was in the last men's national team camp that was called in. Just a top, top player, great mentality. And, you know, Bryce Duke was there, just signed for LAFC from, you know, Matthew Hoppy went to Schalke. Just players that have the right mentality that want to be pros, that just want to move on to the next level. 
Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a great place. <laughs> um, do you think um, the pay-to-play model kind of holds, holds like, you know, gets players lost in the system? Um, do you think that holds, you know, youth development in America kind of back? Uh, you know, obviously, again, a, a huge hot topic in this country, but what's kind of your thoughts on it? I mean, obviously, clubs have scholarships and kids do get in, but wh- where do you stand on it, uh, Sean? So I've always often thought that's an excuse um, in regards to I don't think it's I don't think it's money. I, don't, I really don't. Um, I, we, when we were at the amateur club I was at, we had a scholarship fund that the, the cost was never, ever a reason. There was always ways they, they pay for it. I think transportation is probably the biggest issue. It was just yeah. getting it was getting getting the players to a certain spot. Um, you know, you do it years ago. You pick up players and do stuff that, you you know, you shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? Liability issues and what you just shouldn't be doing those things. So, you know, even at Red Bull, we're thinking, like, how do we get players that are in, in Queens and in Brooklyn? You know what? How do we help them make a decision, Red Bull versus somebody else? Um, so we come up with a transportation initiative, and they try and you know, here's a pickup point, and boom, you're here. Bring you to a training facility, play, eat, whatever, and take it away. So trying to remove that barrier, you know, and we're fully funded, but even clubs that are not fully funded, I think it's a really good idea to try and set up some type of transportation and transportation initiative. And I've often found it was always that it was never. I've never been in a situation where it was money because you'd always find a way to figure it out. Yeah, no, no. For sure. Sean, you talked about uh, mentors a, a kind of a, a wee bit there earlier with Gary, but, um, you know, from your time as a player, I know you played at Finn Harps and in Ireland and, and now coaching. Who's your go-to people? Do you have, like, a bunch of mentors? Do you have one or two? Like, have there been some that have, you know, come and gone? Like, who would be your go-to people along your way? Your yeah. Journey? So, I mean, listen, I think there's a lot of people that you speak to and you respect and um, you always ask your opinion. For me in the States, it's kind of been as a, a lad called Lee Martin. And it's what's great a bit about it. He's, he's a Leicester lad, but he's in the investment world and has made a lot of success uh, investing for states and billions of dollars and things. So really intelligent. But he's a football man as well. And he's he's perfect because he's not too close to what's going on, he's, but he's, he knows enough. And then he just tell you the truth and, and he'll be very honest. We, he was a lad told me to sit down and shut up. Um, and then I'll talk to my brother a lot. So my brother's a former pro. He's actually coaching uh, Neil McCaffrey's in Derry City now, coaching with Paddy McCord. He grew up with Paddy and played. And um, so I, I bounce a lot of things off him. He's experienced a lot in the game. Um, could probably he'd say positive and negative, both in England with Charlton. He's a pro there for five years, and then back in Ireland now. So you know, I, I don't. I have a lot of people I talk to, but when I really need to make a decision and I really need somebody to tell me the truth, that's the two people I go to. All right, brilliant. Sean, we've asked pretty much all our guests we've had on, uh, Martin O'Neill, Jimmy McGuinness, everybody, what uh, what advice would you give to a young Sean McCafferty starting out um, in his journey? I mean, what advice would you give? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's just, just humility is key. It's just willingness to learn and grow and listen and, you know, not think you have all the answers. You know, I think sometimes we come in young and again, having maybe played, and mine was a very modest level, um, but you probably come in thinking you know more than you do. Um, and I, I definitely experienced that, and, and I think that's why mentors are good and people who are not afraid to tell you what you don't want to hear. Um, get mentors, talk to them regularly, and um, just be willing to learn and be willing to, willing to be wrong. You know what I mean? It's Again, everything that I say is it's not right or wrong. It's what we believe in. It's right for us, but it's, it's different for everybody. Um, and it's different. It was at Barca, and it's different, obviously, here at Red Bull. So, I think just 
just being just being humble it's a massive part of i think of, of somebody being a really you know a good coach and somebody who can go far in the game um and that's honestly the advice i would give myself brilliant so i think i asked you this the other day a little bit and and obviously you know like myself you're gone a long time from ireland but how much the you know, you played, I think, at Finn Harps, like I said, Limavadi maybe, and you were in England for a bit as well. But growing up, uh, Irish football is a lot different these days uh, than it used to be. Um, how much do you follow it? Um, you know, obviously, there's, there's the underage setup now there. Um, you know, obviously, your brother's back. And how much do you follow it? How much can you take from it? Obviously, um, you know, do you find yourself looking at the lads you're working with now going, you know, you, you, you should have seen what I was training on, you know, when I was... <laughs> 15 in Derry or whatever so you know uh, Irish football obviously changes I mean we, we big talks of an All-Ireland League and you know how much do you stay in touch with it Sean I mean you know obviously you're a busy guy but how much does that play into your life do you look back on it do you do you, do you, do you like watching it do you like getting involved with it talking to the bird no definitely listen obviously growing up in Derry big Derry City fan my dad's taking me to the games all the time back in the, the glory days and uh, you know Benfica came to the Brandywell and what have you was burning um, but so now nah, I talk to my brother very, you know, probably every other day now. Like I said, I ask him what's going on and how it's 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 amazing how professional it is, you know. And you know they're they're coaching down to play Shamrock Rovers, the Rovers facilities now that they have. And you talk about I'd have loved to have had Paddy McCourt, you know, the Derry staff, Donald O'Brien, you know, my brother Neil McCaffrey, boys who have been there, done it, can help experiences, but have gone on and got education. Not just guys have gone in, you know, and furthered themselves and and become. You know, want to become better coaches. You know, I had, I had my dad and Mark McKee, Mark McKeever played for Sheffield Wednesday in the Premiership. Actually, his dad was our coach. And you know, you get fifty pence, go down to Templemore Sports Complex to play in gravel, and when the ball hits you in the leg, you're crying for an hour. It was, you know, it's just <laughs> night and day. You know, and there's no coaching as such. You're just playing. Maybe there's a, and there's probably a warrant to some of that. Maybe just playing. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes maybe we're over coaching, but the professionalism now with you know, and again, I can only speak to Derry and my brother and what they're doing. You know, the strength conditioning, sports science, the diet, nutrition, and making sure they're getting the proper meals. You know, I had a bag of bloody M&Ms and Marses and, and, and what have you told me. So I thought we were at a massive disadvantage when I was growing up. We used to go to across to England all the time. You go to trials in Everton and and they were just so professional. They were just, they, they had a professionalism about them that we didn't have for the most part as Irish lads. Maybe that was just me. Um, <laughs> but I just felt that. I, thought, I just felt like we, maybe we didn't get a... If it had been a better setup and more professional environment in Ireland, which it looks like it's going towards, I think it's only going to help develop more top-level players. You know, and you know, I talked about the All Ireland League. I played for Van Harps, and then you go down to Dublin for a game. The Northern Irish League was normally better because you'd have a job as well. It was wasn't very professional, so you'd have a job and have to train and go to the games. So you're like, all right, the Northern Irish League, less travel um, and what have you. But I think, obviously, looking at the Republic now in the, in the League of Ireland full-time players now it's full-time it's a full-time job and, and it's the way it has to be and i think it would only help in my opinion the north as well to get on that same type of schedule um and you talk about if you can do that you can get more full-time staff into youth development which i think is huge you know these these other people are still doing jobs and they're going to work with the boys at night that's tough you know and you're it's tough to plan your sessions properly to reflect on your sessions it's very very tough to do all that everybody's trying their best yeah. but I think if we can professionalize it, then, you know, from top to bottom, you know, first teams, the youth, it'll only grow the game in, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last one for me, and then I'll pass it over to John. Um, so, you know, New Jersey, New York, um, you know, I lived there for multiple years, massive South American, Latin American uh, 
culture. Um, what impact does that play within uh, the New York Red Bulls academy, uh, first team, second team, whatever it is? Yeah, listen, the, one of the strengths we have is diversity. You know what I mean? All different, you know, people from everywhere. So it's it's one of the strengths that we have. Um, I think even from a fan base standpoint, is you know that 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 Hispanic culture, the like Latin culture, is, is brilliant. It brings an atmosphere to the place. It brings a, mm-hmm. a joy and a love for the game, if you like. And uh, you know, even again, the time t- my time in Arizona, you know, a lot of Hispanic players there as well. So you know, you picture a dairyman learning Spanish. It was uh, it was uh, it was funny. Not as funny as the Jordy lad there, Jed Quinn speaking Spanish. That was the best. But, <laughs> um, so, but you try and connect with players, and it's a massive part. We've lots of Hispanic players in our club that are. And again, I think different cultures bring different things to the game. You know, there's a different yeah. feel to the game for, you know, with some Portuguese boys, big Portuguese influence that are just comfortable on the ball, you know, see things differently, feel for the game. Um, you know, maybe you get somebody, big centre-back, whose dad was Irish. He just go up and head the ball, give it some, you know, maybe stereotype in there. But but ultimately, best of both worlds. Can you, can you blend it together and make a group that's, mm-hmm. you know... Um, that, that works you know i think um, again i'm a massive believer and you need that different diversity and different ways of doing things in different moments absolutely well sean it was absolutely fantastic i'm going to pass you over to john here but um you know i've enjoyed chatting to you i mean i've enjoyed meeting you when i visited you in arizona it was brilliant and hopefully i get to see you again and uh you're you're, you're flying the flag uh, high for the irish over here in america so well done and i appreciate it pal thank you absolutely sean cheers Cheers, John. Great stuff, Sean. Um, question <laughs> no, no comment. Um, you know, t- <laughs> oh, you no, trying to stitch me up here? I, 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 uh, I went through it. So back in the <laughs> back in the early two thousands, yep. you coached a rather high level girls team. Was there much of a difference between how you coached elite females and most of them players moved on to top division one programs? Um, versus elite males around the same age and similarly looking um, no objectives. I never ever ever trained or treated working with the the girls and the boys ever um, I was very fortunate to work with some some top players and actually and I, <laughs> Sinead Farley was the best female player I've ever worked with I mean she was top top level or her dad was from Kevin I think um, and just what a player but for me I think it's it's almost it's very doing a disservice it's 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 not not appropriate. The the, the the female game over here is so strong. There's so many good players. There's so much depth. Um, that when when I was fortunate to work with those teams, it was just you know, it wasn't. I go from a girl session to a boys, no difference. Absolutely no difference, John. The demands were the same. The the the, the theme, everything was the same. I think when people say you have to do it differently, I I honestly think that's really, you know, for me, it's not appropriate. Gotcha. Excellent. Um, there's another one that came in. At an amateur club, parents have a huge influence. Any advice on how to engage parents and keep them focused on supporting? So, for, for we learned through trial and error. I think when you're, you you do your your preseason meetings, your you know call it your onboarding. This just being transparent and honest. Listen, this is what we're going to do. This is how we train. This is what we're philosophy is in playing. This is our philosophy and playing time, which is always the biggest issue with clubs like that, with parents with a pay-to-play model. Um, the playing time is an issue, you know what I mean? Because, if, you know, listen, I have children myself and my my daughter tried to play a little bit and she wasn't very good, obviously took after me. So, but all, but ultimately, 
you know, if she's not playing and she's not enjoying it, you know, and if you're paying towards it, maybe you think you're you're entitled to something. I think for for us, we just listen. This is what we are. Keeping smaller rosters was always a big thing for our club. Don't take a player in your teams that you're not going to play. It'll eliminate so many headaches and so many conversations down the line, you know. And it's um, we were just very transparent with the parents. They don't really agree with you, but at least you're being honest. They can respect it. Um, and to give them the wise. Listen, this is. You know, your reports, always giving them updates. The players and the parents and the mid-season reports were, were massive. We um, we actually used a, a wee app. Um, I guess some Folly boys used it, uh, After Action, John, which was great. After every game, you give them a little report on the game. Okay. It's great, great on their phones. You know, how do you think you played? What do you get out of 10? You know, and the coach does the same. And it just kind of keeps them engaged and it gives them constant feedback. Um, the parents obviously will take a look at it. So if you get them aligned with you, and kind of run in the same direction, it eliminates a lot of the headaches we find. Uh, and again, through trial and error, you know, we didn't get it all right. But, um, you know, towards the end, I thought we had a, a really good balance of them supporting us and were able to deal with those difficult situations because we were transparent. Excellent. There's two more for me. What, in your opinion, is the one aspect holding back the US from developing consistent world class players? I know you mentioned Tyler Adams. Um, so, What's the aspect holding the U.S. Back? Uh, listen, again, I don't think – I hate to say the negatives about it because I think we're, we're, we're doing such a, a good job, in my opinion, of developing young talent. I think the, the clubs from the amateur to MLS are so much more, you know, so much more well-rounded. The professional staff, people have more education, willing to learn. You know, everybody's working for the same goal. Um, you only have to look at the amount of players that are overplaying in Europe, you know, that have developed to that level. And it's going to just keep getting more and more and more. And now the structure's changing, which I think if I had to say there was anything hindering us, John, was probably the structures of the leagues. I mean, the second division's relatively new. So maybe some players are getting lost going from the youth to a first team was just too big a jump. Not enough MLS teams at that time, for example. So the second teams have been a massive plus in, in, in incorporating that. Um, I think, again, just the benchmarking, ourse benchmarking ourselves against the international standards is huge. You know, it's, it's it's not a country, it's a continent that's so big. You can do all the domestic stuff you want, but how are our top academies, MLS or even non-MLS, how are they faring up against some of the top Mexican academies, the top South American, European? We need to know that, you know, because I don't think we're as far off as we, we, we think, um, but let's find out. Okay, so obviously with the DA going away, that, that will allow you then... Yeah, to go play international it, games. exactly. I think it just get, puts a schedule in place where, you know, we're able to free up more weekends or do more creative things, bring clubs in and just get those get those games. So it's it's vitally important, in my opinion, to, for these top, top talents. Excellent. So last one. Um, where do you see yourself? Obviously, tracking your pathway and what, where you've come from. Where do you see yourself in five years? Are you happy at the academy level? Would you like to elevate yourself into the MLS first? Nah, for me, I, listen, I, I love this position. I think it's a specific position. I think, you know, when um, I, t I made the decision when I came to Red Bull of an academy director versus a coach, you know, because obviously here you're an academy director and coaching a lot of you know, the same. But um, I think the youth development is massive and how we're going to do everything we just talked about. How can we develop more top-level players? How can we develop more youth players into our first team, which we do to a decent level now? But how can we get? How can we develop more Tyler Adams? Those types of players, Sean Davis, our captain. You know, just a, a top young talent, and 
So for me, I, I genuinely mean this. I hope I'm in the same position in five years' time. Um, I've, I've no ambition to go and do something else or be something different. I want hopefully a better academy director at New York Rebels in five years. Excellent. Great stuff. Sean, thanks a million. You've been very uh, John, pleasure. Good seeing you again. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.